How many have ever had a bad day? Just raise your hand. Go ahead and click the like button. Uh, you can just tell us. There's a few of you. Uh, we talked this morning. You already, you know, mentioned some things that you've been struggling with, um, and we all have bad days, right? And it seems like this last year maybe has been full of them more than any other time. At the very least, we all have had bad days together more than we've had in the past. Maybe in this last year, you have even experienced your worst day ever. Think about that. What is the worst thing that has ever happened to you? What is it? No, no, don't shout it out. <laughs> don't type it in the comments or anything. What is the worst thing that has ever happened to you? Maybe it was the death of a loved one. Maybe it was a bad diagnosis. Maybe it was the day your parents split up. We all have experienced bad days, and some of us more than others. So what are we supposed to do in these situations? How are Christians supposed to handle hard days? Well, King David was a man who experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He had his uh, friends turn his back on him. He had the death of his close friends. He had the consequences of his own sin, the death of a child, even had uh, one of his children turn their back on him and betray him and lead a mutiny against him as the king. We're going to see today in 1 Samuel how he responded when those bad days came. A quick background about King David. You've probably heard about him with David and Goliath, right? He's one of the forefathers of the Jewish people. And he uh, eventually becomes king after the very first king, which was King Saul. King Saul had disqualified himself as king, and God chose another king. God chose David to replace Saul. So obviously, if you've uh, ever had a situation where someone uh, gets promoted instead of you or something like that, you can imagine that there's a little bit of animosity there. And King Saul is not happy about this. In fact, he goes as far as chasing him out of the kingdom. And David has to go on the run with a small army of loyal friends. And they camp out out here in the wilderness in a place called Ziklag. And he comes back with his men one day after going out and fighting uh, you know, people and, and, and leading this army. He comes back to find tragedy. If you want to turn over in your Bible or you can check out in the Bible app uh, or in the uh, CBC app, I'll have all these verses in there. But 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 1, we're going to see what David did on his worst day. Now, when David and his men came back to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Nigba and uh, Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. Maybe you've been there in your life before where you've cried so much, it didn't seem like there was anything left. David's two wives had also been taken captive. Ahinamam and uh, Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. 
because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. David and his men came back home to find out that they had lost absolutely everything. The Amalekite warriors had kidnapped their wives and their children. They stolen their possessions. They burned their town to the ground. And David was understandably devastated. David had already been chased out of his home country, out of Israel, by Saul and was on the run. He already had this hard situation going on. And now, thing after thing after thing had happened. And now his family was gone and everything he owned was gone. On top of all that, his men that he had led into battle, these men that had followed him for so long were beginning to turn on him. There were talks of stoning David. Talk about having a bad day, right? What would you do in this situation? All hope is gone. The feeling of being absolutely alone, shock, numb, a huge weight on your shoulders. It's hard to breathe. There seems to be no way out. In these verses, David shows us what to do on our worst day ever. We see that very first step was this, accept it. Weep, weep, you gotta feel the emotions. And David has the first step down. Accept what has happening. You can't run from it, you can't deny it, you can't bottle it up. 1 Samuel 30, verse four, and David and the people that were with them raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. The first thing he did was weep. And he had every reason to, right? Terrible, unspeakable things had just happened to him. And it's okay to weep, right? If you don't believe me, you go over and check in John eleven thirty five, 35, where Jesus wept. See, God does not command us to be superhuman spiritual giants that are immune to emotion. Luke 6, 21 says, blessed are you that are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when you're exclu they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets." When we're following Jesus, and David is trying to do that, when we're following what God has laid out, and hard times come, we can remember that this too shall pass. This isn't what's happening forever. This is just what's happening right now. But even though it's okay to express emotions and, and to be honest with God about what you're going through when these difficult days come, it's very important that you do not let yourself become bitter and mad at God. You've got to remember and play this thought over in your head over and over and over again that God is good. God is good. You got to believe it. You got to you got to remind your heart that when those lies and those doubts and those fears come along, you've got to remain sure that God is good. And even though this thing that I'm going through right now isn't good and it doesn't seem fair and there's questions, you've got to remind your heart that God is good. And this won't last forever. We may be thinking to ourselves uh, when we look at the story of David that I can really understand why David could get mad at God. He's out here doing the will of God and comes back and his family is gone and his home's destroyed. 
Remember back when uh, God comes into the Garden of Eden, right? And back there in Genesis, and he finds his sons and daughters taken captive by sin and this perfect creation that he had made ruined. See, God knows what it's like to feel pain. Sin causes pain for him every day. Now, sin uh, is a byproduct of being free-willed beings. God didn't make you a robot. He didn't make you to where, uh, you know, he controls everything uh, that you do, every decision that you make. Could he? Absolutely. But he has given you a free will. And because you have the freedom to choose between right and wrong, you have the freedom to choose wrong. And God allows these things to come into our lives as opportunities to grow and to be molded closer and closer to that state that Adam and Eve were created in. See, sometimes the pain that comes into our lives is because people have the opportunity to sin. And sometimes the pain comes into our lives because God is trying to mold us and to create us into who he wants us to be. Now, obviously, we realize that we will never be perfect. But we'll get a lot closer shooting at the moon than we would if we never tried, right? So why does God allow these bad things to happen? So the simple answer is if God stopped every bad thing to happen, he would take us to heaven right now. And the people that haven't accepted Christ would never have another chance. One day God will stop all bad things from happening. But for right now, he chooses mercy. I haven't quite parented a teenager yet. Noah's getting there. He's almost there. But I do know this much. Eventually, as parents, you have to allow your children to begin to make their own decisions. And the times when the parents are the proudest is when a child goes through a tough situation, but they make the right choice. And God is the same way with us. If he stopped every bad thing from happening, we would never have opportunities to grow and show God our love. Well, this is fine and great, right? Okay, Pastor Phil, bad things are going to happen. Awesome. I know the first step is weep. I've, normally, that's pretty easy for me when it's a bad day and it's hard. We got to allow ourselves to feel the emotions of the situation instead of bottling our emotions up because we don't want ulcers and depression and anger. But after we've accepted the situation and we've wept and we aren't mad at God, what do we do next? Well, the second thing that David shows us in verse 6, he encourages himself in the Lord. It says, and David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Now, I've had people mad at me before, but none of them have ever threatened to kill me with rocks, right? But David, these friends that he had, were starting to talk about how we're going to stone this guy. Because they were all bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. And, and when we think about it, it might not be that hard to understand how these people could get there, right? Their sons and daughters were gone. David, you're the one that led us out here. You're dead. But David strengthened, it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Not many of us have experienced as bad a day as when David came back from Ziklag and his men came back from Ziklag and they found that everything they knew was gone. However, we can learn from his response. 
As David was surrounded by the ruins of his home that him and his family had built, David could allow himself to get bitter or sink into a black hole of depression. He could have given up or quit or he could fight back. But before David could fight, he'd already wept and wept until he couldn't weep anymore. All his strength was gone. He would have to find a way to regain his strength. And he looked around and he saw that everyone that was behind him before is now ready to to do away with him. Everyone had turned on him. No one was there to encourage him. So he only had one option. He turned to his God. And from what we know of the life of David, I imagine David getting alone and crying out to the Lord for comfort. Maybe there's, he was sitting there and, and playing his harp and praising his God. There's no doubt he didn't feel like singing, just like Paul and Silas and, and, uh, sang and praised God in that dark, dank prison cell. But knowing David and you know this whole book of Psalms, most of those songs written by this man, I'm sure he sang out to the Lord. And sometimes those songs, if you read those, are not real happy songs. They're songs of sorrow and songs of pain. But in any situation, if you're scared or depressed or lonely, singing praises to God and thinking about who he is and the magnitude of who he is, and your sorrows begin to melt away. Throughout David's life, praising God changed his focus. Instead of looking at his problems, looking at his God. Psalms 34.3, he says this, this Psalm of David, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. He's inviting us to do this today. And let us exalt his name together. Why? Because I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Let's think about that word magnify, right? We skim over that a lot in the Bible. We don't think much about it. What does that mean to magnify? Well, magnify something doesn't actually make something bigger or smaller, right? It doesn't change in reality. It only changes in perspective. The key is what we focus on. Have you ever uh, gotten a new car and noticed that, like, there's millions of those other cars around, right? Did it change? Did the the amount of those, uh, you know, the same make and model vehicles, all of a sudden there's more of them? No, we focus on them now because we have one of those, like a, a lime green Jeep. You see them, I see them all the time now. They're pretty bright and, and you know, gaudy, so that's part of it. But uh, it's not that there's more of them, we just recognize them more. And the same thing happens with God. We used to uh, never give those cars a second chance, but now when we focus on them, it seems like there's so many more of them. And when we begin to see God in everything around us, we begin to praise and thank God for what he's done. Then we remember how big he is, and he uh, is so much bigger than our problems. And when we go back and we remember the times that he has taken us out of our problems before and uh, relieved us of those things that we thought were impossible... We go back and remember the times where a bill got paid that we thought would never get paid or a relationship was mended and we thought it never would be mended. God has worked before and he can do it again. And that's what magnifying the Lord is. 
doesn't make God bigger or smaller. It changes our focus from the temporary things around us to the eternal, holy God. We don't increase his omnipotence, but we can magnify our perspective. Perspective is everything about whether we're encouraged or discouraged. If you're discouraged right now, it very well may be because your perspective of God isn't big enough. And if David had focused on his troubles, he surely would have went into a deep depression. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. In times of uncertainty, God is the only constant. People and places will come and go, but God is always with us. And many times we say things like, well, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will never turn my back on God. And when those worst day comes, we kind of do and we falter and we fail. But David meant it. If you're going through your worst day ever, the first step is to weep. And the second step is to encourage yourself in the Lord. Magnify the Lord. Stop putting your problems under a microscope and start putting God under the microscope. There's a preacher by the name of Godwill that says, when we make God bigger, we make our troubles smaller. We need to absolutely refuse to magnify the devil, refuse to magnify the present negative circumstances that seem so big in our lives, and instead magnify the Lord. And it looked like everything was over in David's life. He had lost his family, he was broke, all his friends had turned on him, but he found victory through it. Next, David went to an Old Testament priest and they prayed together for direction. Someone came up to me right before the the service and uh, said that they saw the title of the message and that the answer was this, uh, what to do on your worst day, pray, pray, and pray some more. That's a great, that's a great step, right? Take it to God. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. But they prayed together for direction and God gave him an answer. And David, I'm sure, remembered that God had helped him defeat lions and bears and giants. And once again, he turned to God. And David got back up because God told him to. And God gave him the strength to. And he and his men tracked down the men that took everything from them. And you see that in verse 16. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land. So David finds these Amalekites and they were eating and drinking and dancing because all the great spoils that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening the next day. And not a man escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and uh, David rescued his two wives. Did I mention that David wasn't perfect? Okay, that's, that's one of them right there. <laughs> uh, verse 19. But he, he got everything back. Nothing was myth, uh, missing, whether great or small. Sons and daughters, spoils or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. So that's the third step is to get back up. God gave everything back that was lost. Now, I can't tell you that, you know, everything that you've ever lost, that God is always going to give you it right back. But I do know this. There is hope in your situation. And I don't know what your worst day was or will be, but I know that you need to accept it. You can't run from it. You got to feel the pain of it. 
Next, you need to remember that the only constant in your life is God and then encourage yourself in the Lord and magnify his name and lift your uh, God up bigger than your problems and to praise God through the trials. And lastly, you can't stay there forever either. You've got to get back up, leaning on the strength of your heavenly father. Don't let your past control you. And David saw a great victory come to pass out of the worst days of his life. And if you look back in your life, there's probably some times where you thought all was lost and that actually became a great victory in your life, not because of your power or your strength, but because of God. He made the difference. Paul said, in my weakness, God shows off his strength. And that can happen in your situation today. This might be your greatest victory come out of your worst day. God can do the same for you. God can work it out. Even if you're broken. And even if you're weary. And even if you're still going through your worst day. Don't avoid it. Accept it. Don't bottle it up. Take it to your God. Encourage yourself in the Lord. And while leaning on the strength of the Lord, get back up. Don't quit. Don't run away. Face those things. Let God show off his great power through you. In the times where people said they'll never recover from this. In the times where people said there's no way they come back. God can show off his great power in your situation. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe you've experienced your worst day. What step do you need to take next? Maybe you haven't even accepted it yet. Maybe you haven't even wept yet. Haven't felt the emotions. Maybe what you need to do is if you have wept and you felt it and you're kind of stuck in that weeping part and that step. And the next step is to encourage yourself in the Lord. Take it to God. Well, you might say, well, he's not going to be happy with what I have to say. God knows it anyway. Take it to him. Tell him you don't feel like it's fair. Tell him you feel like you can't get out of this, that there's no hope. Take it to him and let him encourage you. But don't let yourself get bitter. Remember that God is good. God is good. Even when things aren't good, God is good. And lastly, you can't stay there either. You've got to get back up. Not in your own strength, but in his strength. I don't know where you're at today. I know you've probably each had some bad days. Maybe recently, maybe it's a bad thing that happened to you in your childhood. And you just haven't processed it. You haven't worked through it. Now, sometimes that means counseling. Sometimes that means some professional help. And that's important too. Sometimes it's deep-rooted and you've got to talk all the way through it. But here we see some simple steps of what to do on our worst day. Can't just act like nothing's ever happened. All that will do is cause some weird, uh, you know, bitterness and, and strange feelings in your heart. You got you to feel it. Can't stay there. You got to encourage yourself in the Lord. Even when everybody else has uh, turned their backs on you. 
lastly, once you've got that strength back, you've got to get back up. You can't sit on the sidelines forever. You might say, well, I don't want to put myself out there again. Hey, God wants to show off in your pain. He wants to show how big he is. In your weakness is when he can show off the most. Why don't you take a minute right now and ask God what you need to do. What step are you in? We also remember that Jesus went through the worst day ever that anyone's ever had so that we could have the victory. Jesus took on our shame and our pain and our failures and everything that we'd ever done. Jesus had the worst day that anybody else has ever had in all humanity. But he did it for us so that we could see the victory through it. Maybe you're here today and you haven't made that choice. You can call out to God right now. You've got to know you're a sinner. Sin is anything we do or say or think that breaks God's law. We've lied, we've cheated, we've thought wicked thoughts, we've said wicked things. And because of that, it separates us from God. Sin breaks things. But Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh, walked this earth for 33 years and he laid down his life on a cross so that a guilty person could die for all of us, uh, excuse me, so that an innocent person could die for all of us guilty people. Jesus paid the price. He experienced the worst day in all of humanity so that we might have the victory. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus today once and for all. It's not good works. It's not church membership. It's simply the gift of Jesus Christ. It's turning from your sin and all that you held on to and accepting that gift of forgiveness that he gave us on the cross. Why don't you call out to God if you've never done that before or maybe you never really understood it before. Maybe you were trusting in something else. Words aren't important. Call out to God and and ask for forgiveness. And put your faith and trust in him today. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we move into the time of communion and the Lord's Supper, we thank you for that great gift that you've given us. Thank you that you experienced the worst day so that we might have the victory. God, help us to work through these steps accepting it and strengthening ourselves in the Lord and and getting back up. Amen. Psalms 138, 1 and 2 says, I will give thanks to you with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down before you in your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and truth. The Lord's Supper is a time when we give thanks to God for his abundant loving kindness. It's a time of praise and thanksgiving. It's a time to remember God's infinite kindness. 
And it helps us recognize the grace that God has so generously poured out on us. It refreshes our memories of all that God has done for us and, and leads us to magnify Him before others, these mighty acts of salvation. Lord's Supper keeps us from sinking into ingratitude, not letting us forget that which the Lord has done for us when He died on the cross for us. And as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to encourage you to meditate upon God's uh, redemptive work, salvation. Let us consider the life that he lived and the death that he died for us when he died on the cross. Let us consider that state that we were in when we were dead in our sins and how our lives have been transformed by the gospel. This morning, let us consider how he sought us out while we were still sinners. And may our love and gratitude for Christ deepen as we consider the great salvation that he has brought us. Once again, let us take some time as we do this act, a symbolic act called communion, where we remember the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Let us remember all that he has done for us and who he is. Let's search our heart for any sin that's between us and God. Let's take a moment of prayer to thank him and to ask and repent of any sin in our hearts. If you've accepted Christ and followed in believer's baptism, then we invite you to partake with us this morning. You'll find a, a little communion pack there in the pew in front of you, hopefully. <clears throat> There's a little wafer on the top. There's a, a juice down there at the bottom. You can take the top off first, grab that wafer. Matthew 26, 26 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it. This is a symbol of his body, broken for us. Verse 27 says, He took the cup and gave thanks. This is the symbol of his blood that he shed on the cross. And it goes on, and Jesus said, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the many of the remission of sins. You may partake. Father, Lord, we thank you for your blood and your body. God, we can never get over it, God. Thank you for this act of communion. 
where we remember what you have done for us. Lord, I pray for anyone uh, that has recently experienced their worst day. Uh, Maybe it's in their past and they're still feeling it today. God, I pray you would give them freedom once and for all. Bring peace and comfort through the victory of the cross. In your name we pray. Amen.